of the things that he did and the greatness of his life, but I don't necessarily think of the word sacrifice when I think of Dr. King. Today, 2013, a discussion on Dr. King is less popular than uh, uh, Beyonce's singing at the inauguration or Manti Teo's dating life or Honey Boo Boo's next adventure. Um, But it is appropriate to pay tribute to Dr. King because all of us are benefiting from his sacrifices. Dr. King was born an ordinary baby, but he died an extraordinary man. The road from ordinary to extraordinary is filled with both ordinary and extraordinary sacrifices. Personally, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about greatness. Every day that I live, I ask myself, how can I have greater impact? How can I touch more people's lives? How can I do things in a way that's going to have a lasting significance? And many of you ask yourselves the same things. And many of you are already doing great things from parenting to principaling, being the principal of a school to business women, athletes, promising students. Many of you here are already separating yourself from the pack. But greatness uh, can mean a lot of different things. It can certainly mean more money. It can mean more status. It can mean greater influence. It can mean a higher and more impactful personal visibility. But according to Jesus, it also means more service. And it's impossible to serve your way to greatness without subjecting yourself to sacrifice. So for our guests who are here with us today, um, those who are listening online, uh, and those of you here in the sanctuary, if you would give your attention to our worksheets, we want to share a few points today with you around this whole idea of sacrifice. We're in a series on 10 steps to a better life. And the fourth step that we want to talk about is the step of sacrifice. We've talked about relationships. We talked about uh, courage. We talked about grace. And today we want to talk about sacrifice. The grace of God for your worksheets, the grace of God gives us the strength to do great things. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In this chapter, we'll be studying that for the next several weeks. But the grace of God gives us the strength to do great things. Verse 2 of chapter 8 says, out of the most severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So in this verse, Paul gives us a formula for what sacrifice is. So if you ever want to know what sacrifice really is, it's defined here in this verse. It is first a severe trial plus An attitude of joy plus extreme poverty or the inability or the lack of access to the resources that you need to address your trial 
plus generosity. And when you combine these four things, that equals sacrifice. So you have a a severe trial. You have overflowing joy, extreme poverty, or inability or no resources to meet your need. And then in the midst of that, there's generosity, which culminates in sacrifice. Now, one of the benefits of sacrifice is spiritual strength. See, and this strength is not derived from doing spiritual exercises. In other words, you don't gain spiritual, this kind of spiritual strength by doing things like praying and fasting and reading the Bible. In other words, it's not an effort that we put forth that gives us the strength that we need. But the type of spiritual strength that we're talking about today is a byproduct of the grace of God on our lives. It is an extension of God's grace. See, great things are only accomplished after we have laid it all on the line. Greatness is the result of giving everything that you have and after having depleted yourself and your resources, we resolve to push further than who we are or what we have left. And we um, resolve to push because we have not accomplished yet what we set out to do. Now, let me see if I can make this plain. Sacrifice is only sacrifice when you have given everything that you have. You see, one cannot cease parenting after you have reached the point of exhaustion. Are you following me? One cannot, uh, and the principals and teachers would understand this. If you're in the classroom, you can't stop teaching when you're at the point of frustration and having done everything that you know to do to try to communicate math or critical thinking skills or how to do language, and when you've done everything you know to do and you're at the point of exhaustion, one who's called to teach can't stop teaching because they have nothing left. In other words, um, um, when you've exhausted yourself, that is not the signal to stop. One cannot stop praying. I wish I had some praying people in here. One can't stop praying when you have been praying sincerely and faithfully, but your sincere and faithful prayers have gone unanswered. That is not a signal to us to stop praying. One cannot stop reading the Bible. When you went to the Bible for clarity and you are only getting confusion. I wish I had somebody who would help me with this. And and you're trying to find an answer, but the more you read, the more confused you get. But that is not the signal to stop reading the Bible. In other words, um, um, this is a a sign to us and this is a, a signal to us that in order to achieve greatness, especially spiritual greatness, One must be willing to push beyond the point of depletion. And beyond the point of depletion, there is another point that waits for us. And this point is called dependence on God. And so we push beyond all of uh, our own depleted efforts and resources until we get to the place where we are totally trusting in God. 
We cannot go any further. Uh, when we cannot do any more, it is at that point that we need strength, not physical strength, not strength from our own efforts. We need the strength that God can give us. This is why Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He said this to the saints. He said, now, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Psalm 27, verse 1 says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, then he says, the Lord is the strength. It's not my own strength here. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 28, verse 7 says this, the Lord is my strength. And my shield and my heart trust in him and I am helped. In other words, he's saying when I have exhausted all of my resources and pushed myself to the place of depletion, I put my trust in the Lord and the results of that, I am helped. And after being helped, he says, my heart leaps for joy. So uh, sometimes when somebody is shouting or or yelling or raising their hands or kind of running around, we don't know what they've been through. But what they're saying sometimes, I just got my breakthrough. I have been putting my trust in the Lord and I am helped. God has helped me. You see, sometimes uh, we just have to go ahead and shout with somebody, <laughs> you know. So they just must have, God must have just made it clear. God may have just given them a revelation. God has just blessed them. Let me shout with them. Yes. Secondly, for your worksheets, greatness, if that is your goal, It's it's not, everybody does not aspire to greatness. Doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't mean something wrong with you. It's just, it is what it is. But if that's your goal, those of you who who are looking to do something great with your life, it will require faith. Look at verse 3. It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And then there's another part that says entirely on their own. They weren't pushed. They weren't prodded. They weren't begged. It says they did it on their own initiative. Now, let me give you the context. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian churches gave a, an enormous financial gift to assist the churches that were undergoing and experiencing the famine. And they gave this great gift, this enormous gift, despite the fact that the Macedonian churches lived in poverty. They gave, uh, in spite of their poverty, they were poor. The Bible says they gave enormously, generously, and sacrificially. Now, you know what happened? The fact that we're reading this today and talking about the Macedonian churches and the large gift that they gave in in, in, in spite of their poverty, it moved them from the ordinary column to the extraordinary column. I I wish I had somebody. You're looking for greatness. I'm just, see, if, if you haven't achieved it, you just have to understand you're in the ordinary column. 
but but in the midst of their poverty, that one act of, of defying their situation moved them from a place where they were ordinary to a place where they were extraordinary to a place of greatness. And Paul says, for I testify. You see, when you're great and you achieve something great, you don't have to tell anybody. Somebody else will tell it for you. I wish I wish I had. Paul said, I testify that they gave as much as they were able as, and even beyond their ability. They did it on their own. Now see, so listen, another benefit of sacrifice, the first benefit is strength. Another benefit of sacrifice is faith. See, and I want you to listen to this. Sacrifice is an intentional, somebody say intentional. It's an intentional repositioning of ourselves from a place of security to a place of insecurity. It's not when something happens in your life inadvertently that you didn't expect and you say, well, now that, that, that the storm has come, I must have faith. No, he says sacrifice is when I intentionally put myself in a position where I move from security to insecurity, from the known to the unknown, from I have it all together to I don't know what the heck is going on. When, uh, when I'm at a place that there's no thing else, no one else to trust, but God. But it doesn't happen because circumstances randomly come and disrupt my life. It happens because I intentionally put myself in that position. You do not sacrifice accidentally. Oh, I wish I had some help. Yeah, sacrifice is something that you think about, something you ponder, something you say, is it worth doing? Something I say, am I able? Sacrifice is an intentional act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, and so, and so, and so, and so here, here's where you are. You see, um, you intentionally moved yourself. And you say to yourself, well, I can't trust my money because my money is gone. Say, but what happened to my money? I gave it away. That is what sacrifice is. Uh, I can't trust my reputation. Why? My reputation is gone. Well, what happened to my reputation? I gave it away so that somebody could come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, you say that sounds strange. Well, Jesus did it. One day, Jesus was talking to a woman at a well. And his disciples were uh, mystified. They were, they were confounded as why Jesus would take the risk. Uh, of, 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 of dirtying his reputation by talking to a woman whose character was questionable and he didn't talk to her in the privacy of some uh, 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 sanitized place. He talked to her in broad daylight so that those who were passing by could see that Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the son of Joseph, the one who turned water into wine, was associating himself with a person of questionable character. He sacrificed his uh, uh, reputation so that the woman could come to know Christ as her Savior. Yeah, yeah. Listen, brothers and sisters. You see, um, when you no longer have a reputation, you have to 
resort to living by faith. When people won't open doors for you because of your great history, there's a spot on your resume. You have to trust God to open the door for you. You have to live by faith, but that's good. When you intentionally put yourself in a position that you have to live by faith, that's good because the Bible says without faith, I wish I had some help. It is impossible. I wish I had, I'm feeling this, to please God because those who come to God must first believe that he is, but not just believe that he is, but that God has you on his mind and that God is a rewarder. Somebody shout, he'll reward me. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah, you have intentionally, not accidentally, not randomly, you have intentionally put yourself in a position where you are forced to walk by faith. Yeah, yeah. And so there are times, my brothers and sisters, that we cannot live by faith unless we intentionally sacrifice. And we have to sacrifice something that we normally would trust. That might be money, it might be time, it might be career advancement. Sometimes the only way to live by faith is to get rid of the other things that can bail us out. Yeah, yeah. You see, it's nothing wrong with climbing the ladder. It's nothing wrong with getting more. It's nothing wrong with having more resources. But God is calling us not to trust in the things that he gives us, but to put our trust in him. And sometimes the walk of faith means to be willing to separate ourselves from the things that we are prone to put our trust in. Well, you say, well, can you give me an example? There was a young man one day, he was... Young man, probably in his early 20s, you know, he's climbing the ladder. He's doing real well. He's on the front cover of the most popular magazines, but he has a hunger in his spirit. He wants to follow God. He wants his life to be significant, not just temporally, but eternally. He hears about Jesus, and he makes an arrangement to meet up with him. He finds Jesus, and he says to him, good master, I want to know what thing must I do? in order to inherit eternal life. He says, I want to be great here, and I want to be great in the life to come. And so Jesus said to the young man, you see, the young man, as I told you, he was doing very well. But he was, he, he was set. He was really, you know, he had everything that a young man could want. And so Jesus' answer was going to mess with his head. Can, 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 can I get some help in the house? I just want to, can I just pause for a minute and kind of disrupt your prayer life? Don't, don't start asking Jesus for things if you're not ready for Jesus to start messing with your head. If you've already predetermined what the answer is, you're not really praying. Can I get some help? In other words, if you start asking Jesus something, the answer is going to come back and it's going to mess with your head. And so Jesus tells him this. He says, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to make a choice. You see, this young man, he came there with a predisposition. He wanted the security of his money and the security of Jesus at the same time. He wanted to be able to trust in his wallet and his bank account and trust in Jesus at the same time. But Jesus told him, if you want to have eternal life, you're going to have to make a choice. You say, you're going to have to make a choice whether you're going to trust in me 
or whether you're going to trust in your money. He said, because the truth is, you can't believe in both. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to, have to uh, believe in one or believe in the other. And so Jesus told him this. He said, so here's how you do it. He said, I want you to take everything that you have, all of your assets, all of your cash, all uh, uh, of your fixed assets. I want you to liquidate everything. I want you to go into your 403B and I want you to pull it out and I want you to amass everything into cash and then I want you to go give it away. He said, but don't give it to everybody. Don't give it to Bill Gates. Don't give it to Warren Buffett. I want you to give it to the poor. Give it to the folks standing on the corner with the sign saying, we'll work for money. They wouldn't work if you gave them a job, but I want you to give it to them. I want you to give it to the folks at the Camilla's house. Give it to the poor. And then I want you to come and follow me. And then he tells them, he says, whoever, uh, he says this, whoever, loses his life uh, for my sake, whoever sacrifices his life for my sake, he said, whoever intentionally puts himself in a place of insecurity where he has to walk by faith for my sake, not just for kicks, not just to write a book, but if you're doing it for my sake, he said, that man will find the life that he seeks. And it said that the young man went away sad because he found it hard to intentionally put himself in a position where he was not going to be secure in this world. Jesus was asking the man to sacrifice his possessions in exchange for a life of faith. Well, finally, let me see if I can finish this message up. Number three, ask for the privilege to sacrifice. The point is ask. Most of us think of sacrifice as something that just comes upon us and we're in a situation and now we've got to make a choice. But I hope you're beginning to see the intentional nature, the planned and the, 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 the very... Intentional nature of sacrifice. Look at the verse. They urged, urgently pleaded with us. This is verse 4. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. In other words, the church was begging Paul for an opportunity to give. Now look, they were broke. They didn't have anything. They had very little. They were classified as being in poverty. And here they are begging for the privilege to give. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says this. Ask, this is, it talks about prayer, and, and we know these verses, don't. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. We, we know that verse, don't we? We know that. And, and then Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it says this. Therefore, I tell you that whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it and you will what? Have it. We, we know that verse. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we what? Ask or think according to the power that works in us. Uh, we know that verse. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 says this. This is the confidence that we have in him. Um, that if we ask 
anything according to his will that he hears us. We know these verses about asking, seeking, knocking, interceding, petitioning God. But I want to ask you a question. Knowing that there are tremendous benefits to sacrifice, have you ever thought to pray a prayer like this? Lord, please provide for me an opportunity to sacrifice something that's very special to me. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, please let me give away something that I place a great deal of value on that would put me in a position where I would have to trust you. Lord, there is a crisis. Let me give in such a way that it demonstrates not just my generosity, but it demonstrates my faith in you. Yes. Have you ever asked God to put you in a situation where you're going to have to sacrifice? Well, that's what these Christians did. They begged Paul for an opportunity to give to the need of the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. They said, give us a chance. I know we're poor. I, nobody, I know no one's expecting us to do anything, but give us a chance. Don't count us out because we don't have much. They said, give us a chance. Let us put ourselves in a position. We sacrifice. Well, some things can't happen. Listen, some things can't happen unless somebody's willing to sacrifice. I saw a tweet the other day that said that 95% of all the African-American kids or 80% of all the African-American kids in school right now are illiterate. I don't know if that's true or not. I know the situation is dire. I don't know whether it's true, but I do know one thing. You can study it, analyze it. You can uh, cut it up. You can divide it up. You can reduce it down. But it's not going to change unless somebody is willing to stop talking and start sacrificing. Uh, Do you know why are there 23 million African-Americans registered to vote right now in the United States? That didn't just happen because somebody passed a constitutional amendment. Uh, You have 23 million African-Americans who are registered to vote because somebody sacrificed. Why is it that even in our church, our small little church on this corner, we have Anglo-Americans, African-Americans, Haitian-Americans, Bahamian-Americans, Puerto Rican-Americans, Guyanese-Americans, and yeah, man, we have Jamaican-Americans. Why? Because somebody sacrificed until the immigration laws rolled out a red carpet for all people. Yeah, and, 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 and do you know that even on this campus this week, We had health classes for seniors, growth groups for all ages, uh, prayer ministry for our community, dance rehearsal for our kids, tutoring and karate for our students, blanket distribution for the homeless. Why? It happened not because these people didn't have something else to do. It happened because somebody was willing to sacrifice. You see, God is looking for the person who doesn't have enough money, who doesn't have enough time, and doesn't have enough resources, and yet is willing to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Yeah. Sacrifice. Some things can't happen unless we're willing to sacrifice. 
unless we're willing to put ourselves intentionally in a position where we have to trust God. Well, finally, I want to say this about sacrifice. Verse 5, Paul said, look at this. And they did not do as we expected. He said, he said we didn't have much expectation of them. Well, you ought, to, you ought to love being in that position when people underestimate you. You ought to love people having conversations about you. Well, they're not going to be able to do it. They have a good heart. They have good intentions, but they're not going to be able to do it. Well, he's a good young man, but this is a bit too much for him. Well, she's a nice young lady, and, but the situation is, is, is really too much for us, us to expect her to be able to achieve all this based on where she's coming from and the odds that are against her. She, if she graduates from high school, that, that'll be good. You ought to love being in the position when folks are underestimating you. Paul is saying that he had to confess here. He said, you know what? He said, they didn't do as we expected. We didn't expect much of them. You see, in there, and, and, you, and you see that sometimes they're not expecting much. But I'm always saying, and I'm, and I'm going to keep saying it, whether it's in academics, all A's and an occasional B, whether it's in economics, you save your money, keep building it, and in whatever area, let them have low expectations. But you never set your bar based on what somebody else is expecting of you. In other words, give me a shot. I know it doesn't look like I can do anything on paper, but I got a partner with me. I got a silent partner in this effort. And if you give me a shot. And and so Paul says they they did more than we expected. He says, but they gave them, look look at how they did it. He said, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then to us in keeping with God's will. And so I, 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 got, I performed a little exercise yesterday where I sent a text message out. Several people I know, maybe, you know, a few people. And I asked a question. I asked a question, what is the greatest thing that you can offer to God? What is the greatest thing that you own? that you can offer to God. And I started getting these text messages back, started getting these messages back. And this is what they, they, they started coming back. These were the answers. Myself, my surrender, my life, my time, my heart. And you know, when, when I got these answers back, I said, they get it. They understand what's most important. Nobody said my money or my car, my influence, they, they, they said myself. And we all get it, don't we? We understand that the greatest gift, the greatest thing we can give God is not the stuff we have, but ourselves. And, and see, that question is not some super spiritual question. It's a very practical question. And th- this is fundamental. See, this is fundamental to any relationship. You see, relationships are not rich because we are asking who is giving what to who. See, your, your relationship is not strong because of what you give, because you give your money and your car and all. You see, you see the relationships are strong based on who is giving who to who. You see, when, when we get married, if we get married and if we're in a relationship purely, we're not out to get what the other person has. We want the other person. Am I I, I 
feel anybody. In other words, what makes a relationship, where, where are my sisters in here? When I, what makes a relationship valuable is when the other person wants to be with me just as much as I want to be with them. Can I, can I, in other words, I, I'm giving myself to you and reciprocally, you are giving yourself to me. And so, and so, and so it's not who's giving money and cars, but who is exchanging life. You see, because here it is, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could give some money or give some time or give your talents. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die so you could give your time and talent and money first. So he doesn't want you to be saved and thinking that the only thing you have to give and your only obligation is to just give your time and your talent and your money first to him. Jesus died on the cross so that you would give yourself to him. He sacrificed his life for you. There are benefits to sacrifice. Nobody sacrifices for God and loses. You see, here it is. You can give your money and still be lost. You can give your time and still be lost. You can give your gifts, your talent. And you can still be lost, but you cannot give your heart. You cannot give yourself to God. Raggedy as that life might be, you can't give it to God and still be lost. Now, if God has your heart, you will give him your money. He'll get your time, and he'll get your talent if he has your heart. But the only reason he can't get your time and the only reason he can't get your talent and the only reason God cannot get your money is because in some way or another, he does not really have your heart. You you give him your heart, you put yourself in a position to trust him. Yeah, let's stand on our feet, if we will.